My mom didn't raise me in church. Uh, my father, who was a multimillionaire from Beverly Hills, California, left my mother and I when I was one. If you Google my name, David Bendett, you'll find a bunch of information on my blood father in California. I want so desperately to be in relationship with him because I know life is short and I know there are so many generational promises that were passed down into my life from him. He left my mom and I when I was one and I've never gotten to know him. I did meet him when I was 28 years old, but we've not maintained a relationship since then. So I was raised by my mother as a child and then my stepfather came into my life when I was five. But my mother, when I was a young child, never took me to church. She was Greek Orthodox and had some real challenges and issues with the Greek Orthodox Church when she was a little girl. She came to the United States from Greece when she was 16 years old and never went back to church. My father that raised me was raised uh, in a mainline denominational church, and he was raised as an altar boy. All of his childhood and all of his young adult life, and until he moved away from his home, he was always in church, but once he moved away, he never went back, every so often for Christmas and Easter. So I wasn't raised in church. I didn't have any understanding of religion. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I wasn't raised in a home where we prayed over meals, where we talked about the Lord freely. When somebody was sick, we would pray. I wasn't raised around any of that. I was raised in a small town in Missouri called Excelsior Springs, which is just outside of Kansas City by Liberty, Missouri has a real famous hotel there called the Elms Hotel, real pretty little city, but it was small town Missouri in the 80s. And all everybody did was drive up and down the main street on Friday night, drinking, doing drugs, going to keg parties out on the country roads. Everybody was sleeping with everybody's boyfriend and girlfriend. That was the small town life that I grew in, grew up in. Your identity was wrapped around what you did, sports or extracurricular activities. And I was into sports. I was a wrestler. I was a uh, pole vaulter. I did a lot of other things, but I wasn't really liked by the Christians that were in my school. Now, there wasn't a Christian club in my school. There was no uh, uh, fellowship of Christian athletes. There, was, there were no Christian organizations. And the only Christians that I knew and that I saw were real stuffy. They were real stiff. They didn't like me, and I didn't like them, okay? And so, Growing up in small town Missouri, being raised now by a single father because my mother and my dad separated and my mom stayed in Miami. And growing up, I spent half of my years going to Miami, hanging out on the beaches, doing drugs, partying. In Kansas City, I lost my virginity at a young age, started partying and drinking at the pizza place on Friday nights by the time I was in eighth or ninth grade. And I don't want any of our young adults and kids to do that. That's not the example that we want to set. But what I want you to know and understand is that's world normal. World normal is the life that anybody is born with prior to giving their life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus addressed that when he said, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate it, you'll find it. And he's talking about two different lives. The first life is the psyche life. That's the life he said that we were to lose. Psyche, think Sigmund Freud, right? Think your mind, your will, the seat of your emotions, all of the experiences, your soul realm, everything that you've experienced in your life until you give your, lives to, your life to Jesus. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, you still have this psyche life ruling and reigning. And the psyche life constantly thinks about itself. It thinks about how it's going to take care of itself. We're thinking about how long is the pastor going to preach today? What are we going to eat after? We're not desiring spiritual food because we're consumed with our natural life, Okay. And so that was the life that I was born into. I didn't know any different. I didn't know any better. And so sleeping around, going to the bars, going to the clubs, doing drugs, that was what I was catapulted into. And then I started following this band around the country called the Grateful Dead. And I got into all kinds of new age, astrology, tarot cards, crystal meditation, palm reading. These are the things that I considered to be spiritual. So when I talk about being spiritual today, I'm not talking about that, but I thought that that was being spiritual. My mindset was that all roads led to God. Who was I to tell you anything different? If it worked for you, that's great. If meditating on a crystal, if you wanted to meditate on this coffee cup and it transform your life, or so you thought, more power to you. But that's, the problem with that is it's a lie. Let me tell you why. Do you want to know the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world? 
Buddhism, Islam, I Ching, you name it. The greatest difference between every other between Christianity and every other religion in the world is that with Christianity, we believe that the living God, the creator, actually dwells inside of you and that you're changed from the inside out, not the outside in. That you're changed not by measuring up and works and performance, but you're saved by grace by having faith. We're the only religion that believes the spirit of God indwells in us and we actually become possessed by the Holy Spirit and by the living God. Every other religion says, pray seven times a day, face towards the east. They say, be a really good person and you'll be reincarnated as something even better. If you go to India or you go to Trinidad, there are mange dogs and animals and cows everywhere walking the streets. They don't kill the dogs there. Everywhere there's mange stray dogs that they won't kill because that could have been a reincarnated life of somebody else. They actually really believe that in Hinduism. But with Christianity, we believe that when we surrender our life, a new life comes. And so Jesus would make this powerful point. I'm going to keep it really simple for you today. If you love your life, the life that you were born with from your mother's womb, he wants you to lose it. Okay? But if you, but if you, or you, and you will lose it. But if you hate it, you're actually going to find new life, and that new life is called Zoe life. Now, you've all heard the word Zoe. We name our children. We name pets. We name a lot of things Zoe. But the word Zoe in the Greek means the God kind of life. It's the fired up, energetic, transformed new you, the you that you were always created to live. But you're never going to get that until you surrender your life, lay it down, and say, God, I want new life. Now, the challenge and the the, the issue is so many of us in our old psyche life believe warped views and warped things about who God is and what the new life looks like, okay? Like you'll have to live a straitjacket lifestyle. You're gonna have to be ultra-religious. You better be in church every time the doors are open. You better read your Bible 24 hours a day. You can't have fun. You can't do this. You can't do that. And we see coming to the Lord as a set of policies, rules, and religious regulations, and that will kill you. That will kill you. Religion kills. John 1.17 says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the Lord loves you, and he cares about you. He wants to break you out of that old life because we don't even realize that that old life, ultimately, the psyche life, will destroy us. You can run, but you can't hide. And at some point, you come to the place where you realize, and here are the signs of realization, depression, anxiety, worry, fear, can't sleep at night. We have all kinds of clear biblical understandings of what sin is, but there's a lot of other things that are wreaking havoc in our life that are not what God wants and is not God's best for us. And the only way that we can get free mentally physically and spiritually, is when we give our lives to the Lord and we get born again, okay? So my life was world normal. Everybody say world normal. Now, world normal is not kingdom normal. World normal is the world spinning out of control into darkness, dysfunction, crazy things, crazy, insane stories that we read about in the news and you think to yourself, how could this ever happen? Things I don't even want to repeat this morning because there's children here. But all you got to do is look at the news and turn on the news. In our own city, we see crisis situations everywhere around us. And I think all of us can agree that the world is spinning out of control. But when I see things that people do, when I see divorces and cheating and adultery and incest and all these horrible things that happen, you know what I say? That's world normal. Because people are not innately born good. I know you might like to think that they are. But I didn't teach, teach my two-year-old and four-year-old to bite, pull hair, kick, scream, fight over their toys. I didn't teach my two-year-old and four-year-old how to act like that. It's a natural, human nature, innate thing inside of them that was passed down from the garden through generations and generations and generations. That's why every single person must lose that psyche life and come ultimately to Jesus and get the new kind of life. Everybody say the God kind of life. 
Now, let me tell you the God kind of life is awesome. What you're seeing right now is a man who has stepped into the kingdom life and a resurrected son that's not the way that I used to be. <clears throat> but let me just tell you a little bit about how I used to be. I'm going to tell you a couple stories. So when I started going to the Grateful Dead and getting into all the new age and all of the crystal meditation, astrology, and tarot cards, I believed that there was a lot of power in those things. I considered myself spiritual. I also got into drug dealing, and I got into doing mushrooms and LSD. And in 1992, on my way to a Grateful Dead concert, I got busted for drugs, and I wound up getting arrested, and ultimately, I wound up getting sent to prison. That's right, I spent a year in prison. Now, that year was one of the best years of my life, and let me tell you why. When I got sent to prison, I was asked if I wanted to tutor illiterates. I said, okay, that's probably better than scrubbing toilets. I had already scrubbed toilets for about three or four months when I first went in, so I took a job as a tutor. I got several hundred hours of tutoring under my belt and education. I would sit down with illiterates to teach them how to read the curriculum that I was given but they would always ask me how to read the Bible. When somebody can't read, the one thing that they really want to know how to read is the Bible. And so I'd meet them after hours at night, and I'd start showing them about the Bible, and they'd start asking me questions that I didn't know answers to, all kinds of questions. What about the, the Indians that didn't have Bibles and missionaries and died not knowing Jesus? What about the baby boy in Tibet? Why don't all roads lead to God if we're just a good person. Doesn't God just want us to be good people? Can't we make it to heaven being good? Let me tell you guys something. God's intent is not to just get you to heaven. God wants heaven on earth. Most of us have prayed the Lord's prayer, right? And the Lord's prayer says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God wants to bring his life into your life right here, right now. Yes, getting to heaven's important, of course, but God has a purpose and a plan for you right now. And the enemy of your soul, the devil, works on overtime to keep you blinded, to not believe the truth, and to keep you isolated. And that's what he was doing with me. Many people tried to preach to me along the way. I'd go to these Grateful Dead concerts. People would come and try to talk to me. I didn't want to hear anything that they had to say. And so, ultimately, I get busted for drugs, and I wind up going to prison for a year. And during that year, I really knew how to read the Bible, and I learned, and I grew, and I gave my life to the Lord, and it was wonderful. Some people said to me, well, pastor, you just gave your life to Jesus because you went to jail. I said, that's right. Thank God for jail because I could have been dead. Who knows who, whose life I would have destroyed. God actually rescued me and had mercy on my life by that experience, okay? And so 10 years later, 10 years later, I was going to go hunting in Colorado, elk hunting, and I went to buy a rifle at the gun shop and it asked, had I been convicted of a felony? Well, I wasn't going to lie, so I said, yes, I was denied of buying a gun. Man, I wept. I, I, it really was hard for me with the fact that I couldn't buy a gun to go hunting. It was something I really wanted to do. So I called up my old attorney that had told me that if I was out for five years and didn't get into any trouble, that we could file for an expungement, which means it would be completely wiped off my record, right? So I had never done that, but after I couldn't buy the gun, I called him up and I said, hey, uh... I'd really like to retain you again to file for this expungement. And, he, and the attorney said, they don't do expungements for that anymore. It was a third-degree felony, busted for trafficking, and a hallucinogenic. And so they weren't going to do that anymore. Apparently, the law had changed. He said, but you know what? Let's file the paperwork and just see what happens. Send me a write-up. Send me $50, and I'll go ahead and send it through and see what happens. So I said, Okay. Sent him the paperwork, wrote out my testimony about how my life had changed, paid the 50 bucks. About two months later, I get a letter in the mail from the parole board of Ohio, which is where I'd gotten busted. And it said that I had a court appearance before the judge, a Greek judge by the name of Cosmo Globus, the very same judge that convicted me and sentenced me to the year in prison. Now, when I went for my sentencing, my mom came with me. You always stand a better chance when you've got your mama with you. <laughs> Do you know that the third time Jesus, let me tell you this funny story. I shared this last week. The third time that Jesus, you know, Jesus told his disciples three times that he was going to be uh, mocked, scourged, spit upon, and crucified. 
And every time that Jesus told his disciples he was about to be crucified, all they could think about was themselves. They never heard the third day. They didn't catch that today was going to happen. And you know, even when Jesus resurrected on this day, the disciples were mourning and weeping and still did not believe. They were destitute and without hope, even after years of hearing Jesus tell them. Do you know when the women came to the tomb to, to bring spices on the third day, when they came on the third day to bring spices, they said to themselves, who will roll away the tomb for us? They still did not believe until the, the stone was rolled away. It's a powerful, powerful story. <clears throat> and you can read all the stories of the resurrection in all four presentations of the gospel. And I would encourage you guys to do that. <clears throat> I'm not going to teach on the story of the resurrection today because my focus this morning is on the results of the resurrection. What happens now that the resurrection has happened and how does it change our faith? How does it transform us and cause us to live and believe differently? You know, if Jesus hadn't rose from the dead, we'd be wasting our time this morning. The cross would have been pointless. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we wouldn't have a God that lives, that fights on our behalf, that works with us to become everything he's called us to become and to transform the world. You know, anybody could have said they were the Messiah, and many people have. There's a guy in Miami right now that has thousands and thousands of followers all over the world that claims he is the Christ. You know that? Working hard to deceive the people. There are people that claim to be the Son of God or Messiah many times. Somebody could just come and say, I'm going to die for the sins of all mankind and jump off a cliff. But they're not going to be able to resurrect because only Jesus resurrected. And that's what made Jesus different. And we're going to look at a few scriptures about how the resurrection powerfully impacts our faith and impacts our life. But back to the story. And so my mom came with me to the trial. She came with me to the sentencing. She stood before the Greek judge crying. The Greek judge starts crying because my mom is crying and says, please have mercy on my son. Please don't send him to prison for a long time. Please don't send him at all. And the judge says, I, I know that they say blood is thicker than water, but there's a mandatory minimum sentence for this crime. He has to do a minimum of 18 months. Has to, okay? My mom cried. She hands me my bag that I packed with all my new age books and all my magic books. And I even had a little Sony Walkman player with a joint stuck up inside of it that I thought I could steal and sneak into jail. I mean, I was totally deceived. That's how, world normal. I'm just telling you it's world normal. I mean, you can get, you can get anything in jail. You know, they got cell phones, drugs. I mean, it's going on. It's happening for some inmates. I'll just tell you right now. And so, the, the, the sheriff wouldn't let me go take any of that except one book in my, in my bag, and that was my Bible. And off to, to jail I go with the Bible in my hand and handcuffed, okay? So now 10 years later, I get something from the parole board saying, you've got to appear in Ohio, and it just so happens it's the same judge. And instantly I knew that the Lord had a purpose. You know, 10 years, by the way, the, the number 10 means measurement and perfection, and it means that God would be measuring, refining, and perfecting you. And at that 10-year mark, God would have me go back before the same judge into a courtroom of about 150 people to share my testimony. And so I go to the courtroom. My friend Tor Nordstrom from Tulsa, Oklahoma goes with me. And he tells me, you're going to prophesy and tell the judge your story when you get there. I was so nervous. I was decked out in a suit, looked a lot like I look right now. And I walk into that courtroom with my attorney. And I, and I went ahead and hired the same attorney because he knew my case from before, which probably wasn't the best idea because the attorney that I hired was attorney, an attorney that represents normal, which is the national organization of the reformation of marijuana laws. And back in the day, I hired this guy because I figured if this guy was for pot, he'd be for me. If, if I had a chance before the judge I better get this kind of attorney because he'll fight for me, right? And so now I go back years later and I show up and the guy's got stains on his shirt. His hair's all messed up. He's like totally doped out. I mean, this is not the guy that I had remembered before. 
And when we walk in, he goes, now tell me what you, why, again, we should ask for this expungement. I said, well, I wrote it all down for you. He goes, I know I didn't have time to read it. So we walk into the courtroom. He doesn't even know anything about me. And so we sit down, there's 150 people, and the judge is older, a little meaner. The three or four people right before me that went up all got sent to jail for 30, 60, 90 days. They got busted for drugs, and they were airline mechanics. And the judge was like, you're an airline mechanic doing drugs. I don't want to fly your plane jail for 90 days. I mean, he was mad. I remember those things. So finally, they call Ben Dett versus the state of Ohio. We walk up, and the clerk reads to the judge, that it's for an expungement and lists all of the crimes that I had committed and been convicted for. And the judge looks at the clerk and says, we don't do these expungements anymore. And the clerk looks at the judge and goes, <laughs> and then the, the judge looks at my attorney and my attorney goes, <laughs> so what you've got to know and understand is it was the favor of God that opened the door for me. And so the judge looks at the attorney and says, okay, why should we grant David Bendett the expungement. And the attorney looks down at the paperwork and starts flipping through the papers going, uh, uh, because he hadn't read anything. And he finds a spot and he goes, well, he's a youth pastor, because I was a youth pastor at the time. And the judge goes, so? Because these days, anybody could be a pastor. And over the course of time, pastor titles don't have the same level of respect and honor the way that they did many, many years ago. So many people run off to start their own ministries and lone range pastors that have never paid the price. And I'm not saying that's the case for all of them. But being a pastor is laying your life down of blood, sweat, and tears. And you can never do it for the money title or the easy road out because it's not easy when you're really called to it, right? And this, this judge was like, big deal that he's a pastor. Shrugs his children, says so. So then the attorney starts flipping through the paper and he goes, well... He's owned two homes. He's like grabbing for straws now. He doesn't know what to say. And then he says, um, he's got his degree. And the judge looks at me and says, really, son, where did you get your degree from? And I said, well, I got my, uh, my uh, undergraduate degree from Oral Roberts University. And he goes, Oral Roberts University, I can't stand that guy. <laughs> now, for those of you that were not Christians your whole life or you're young, won't remember the fact that back in the day when Oral Roberts built the university, which is my alma mater, which is where I went to college, phenomenal school, by the way, phenomenal school. Back in the day when Oral was building the, the university, he was also building a hospital called the City of Faith. No one had ever done anything like what Oral was doing. I mean, he was way ahead of his time. And people all over the world were against this guy. Well, he needed about $8 million to complete the project, and he made a statement that if he didn't get the $8 million, God was going to take him home. And it made national news, and everybody thought Oral Roberts was such a big crook because he was plying, saying, basically, if I didn't get the money. I'd, my dad didn't even like Oral Roberts University and didn't want me to go. So the older generation was not for Oral Roberts University. And so when he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't like Oral Roberts University, I said, well, Your Honor, I didn't go to Oral Roberts University because of Oral Roberts. I said, when I chose to go to Oral Roberts University, it was ranked 29th in the nation by U.S. News and World Report as far as highest academic standards among private colleges. He goes, hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. I said, and your honor, I also went to Miami-Dade Community College. He goes, now I know that school. Miami-Dade Community College is one of the largest community colleges in the United States, over 30,000, 40,000 people. It's huge because it's in Miami. It's a melting pot of cultures all over the world with campuses everywhere. And he goes, I like that school. I said, you know, your honor, I said, if you would permit me, I'd like to say one thing. He said, go ahead. I said, I just want to say, thank you. And you probably don't remember me from 10 years ago. And he starts laughing and the whole courtroom starts laughing. Of course, the judge isn't going to remember me from 10 years ago. He's seeing people all day, every day for 10 years. And they laughed. I said, but I was that, that young kid that was on his way to a Grateful Dead concert that bought, brought my little Greek mother to the sentencing. And she pleaded with you in Greek to not send me to jail. 
and you said, I know blood is thicker than water, but you had to send me to jail. He goes, oh yeah, I remember you. He says, how's your mom? I said, she's doing great. She, he goes, is she still in Miami? I said, yeah, she is. And I said, your honor, I just want to tell you this. Going to prison for that year was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. And I'm so thankful for that year because now I lead over 100 high school students in teaching them to not make the choices and the decisions that I make and that there's such a better life than the life that I was living. And because of prison, my life was completely changed and I am not the same man that I am today. And I want to say thank you so much. And I want to tell you thank you. And I want to tell you that that courtroom was dead silent. You could have heard a pin drop. And then I said, it's because Jesus Christ changed my life. And thank you. And he had a little tear on the side of his eye. It was a very emotional moment. And he's looking at me and he looks over and he grabs the anvil. And he picks it up looking at me and he goes, strikes the anvil and he says, adjudication approved. And my record was completely wiped clean. That powerful? Now, see, I don't mind telling you guys these stories because I'm set free from you and I'm set free from myself. And I understand some of those can be shocking, but what you've got to understand is that's world normal. World normal is spinning out of control and living for yourself and making choices and decisions that ultimately don't make you happy. When people don't have the guidelines of God's word and his love and him speaking to them and loving them, when love is not ruling and reigning in their heart and they're not taught the greatness of who God is like we plan to teach our children, of course world normal's living for yourself. Adultery affairs, all these things are normal in the world. That's why we see it everywhere. That's world normal. But God calls us to live kingdom normal. And once I became kingdom normal or what I call super normal natural, I started embracing God's power and God's love and pouring it out to teenagers. Then as a youth pastor, I took 52 teenagers to Key West, Florida for a mission trip. Now who goes to Key West, Florida for a mission trip, right? But see, I had been to Key West, Florida before, and I know what goes on in Key West, Florida. If you've ever been to Key West, one of the most famous things to do at Key West is watch the sunset. The sunsets are epically incredible in Key West. And you go to this little place called Mallory Square. And at Mallory Square, there's all kinds of psychics and tarot card readers and astrologers and new agers. And it's totally full of witchcraft and new age. There's cats jumping through hoops and knife and flamethrowers. And it's crazy. And it's packed with hundreds and hundreds of people. Even getting into Mallory Square, you have to go do, down Duval Street. And every hundred yards in Duval Street is a psychic booth reading cards, and speaking fortune-telling over people. You know the greatest difference between psychics and prophets? Prophets are foretellers. Psychics are fortune-tellers. Psychics have a gift from God like prophets, but they're like a satellite receiver just tuned in to the wrong network. They've got incredible abilities to see and experience things. They're incredibly gifted like so many of you are. But so often these psychics are raised as a child experiencing all kinds of paranormal activity and their parents tell them they're crazy and the church ostracizes them and then they choose to take their gift and use it for money, hence fortune telling. They have a very real gift. But a psychic can only bring information, not revelation. Prophets bring information and revelation. Okay, it's a little fun side fact for you. So we were so excited to go to Mallory Square. We had prayed, we had fasted. I mean, the kids were amped up, 52 teenagers, a bunch of young adults. We had supernatural encounters getting there. I mean, it was awesome. And so when we get to Mallory Square, I walk up with all these teenagers. We've got our drums and our violins and our intent was to set up right in the middle of Mallory Square, bust out a drum circle, play our violins and start praying for people. Hundreds of people there. So we get there, we march right close to the middle. We start playing our drums. We start setting up, playing the violins. And instantly a man runs up and says, stop, stop, what are you doing? And I said, well, we've come all the way from Oklahoma. Now, let me just tell you, 
don't tell the, the guy in Key West you've come from Oklahoma. They could really care less, okay? <laughs> but it was the dock master. And little did I know, if you wanted to set up on Mallory Square to do any kind of music or anything, you had to have a permit. But I never would have known that, right? So I show up with no permit, and we're ready to play. But the guy comes up and says, stop, stop. And I said, listen, man, we've come from Oklahoma. These kids, we just want to play music. We just want to enjoy ourselves. I'm not going to tell them we're here to evangelize and do outreach. And we weren't going to stand on soapboxes with a bullhorn preaching hellfire and brimstone. What we do is we hand out bottled water and we pray for people and we just love on them. We pray for the sick. We give encouraging words and we just teach these kids how to walk in the supernatural and love people really well, right? And so I tell this guy, we just want to play music. And he says, you got to have a permit for that. He says, but you know what? If you really want to play music, you can go all the way down about a half mile down, the, down this dock right here and play down there. Well, of course, there's nobody there. We're not going to go sit down at the end of the dock. And I start praying in my mind as this guy's talking and telling me we can't be there. And I said, God, please open the door for us to set up right here at Mallory Square. And as I'm praying, for the Lord to open the door. This guy's words start mumbling. He starts getting confused. He makes a funny look on his face and his mouth. And then he says, you know what? Let me look at my clipboard. I might have another place for you. I said, please do. And I'm just silently praying in tongues that this guy would open up the door for us. So he grabs his clipboard and he says, you know what? You're not gonna believe this. The very middle space was booked for tonight, but the guy didn't show up. If you guys want to be right in the middle of everything, I can put you right there. And he puts us surrounded by tarot card readers, astrologers, and new agers right in the middle of everything. We start playing our drums, playing the violins, having a worship time. And then I start having these kids get up on chairs and calling out words of knowledge for healing and people to be touched by the presence and power of God. And suddenly, all these people start showing up to get prayer. Now, we're wrecking the business for all the psychics and the tarot card readers. Because instead of people going to them, they want to come and receive prayer from us, right? So as the kids are getting up, these people are getting more upset. And then one of the guys, a guy that I would meet later by the name of Sparrow, we had long silver spikes on his hands and tattoos and, gold and silver chains all over him came over and started shouting and yelling us to stop what we were doing. And he was angry and he was mad and the spiritual warfare level was incredibly high. But during that time, one thing I'll never forget is the air was like electrically charged. I could see like electromagnetic energy in the air and it was full of light and power, okay? And so the kids were praying for people and towards the end, I jumped up and I shouted out, you don't have to worship the creation or look to the creation for answers. You can look to the creator to find the real answers. And that's what world normal does. World normal, when they don't know the true living God and they don't know Jesus, what do they do? Crystals, the stars, the sky, they make idols. You know what the most simple definition of an idol is? It doesn't talk. Look it up. That's the first definition of an idol is that it doesn't speak. The Buddhas around a house, the little things that we do that think bring a spiritual power, they don't because they don't talk. They don't communicate. They don't have life. The Bible says that an idol is something that's dumb, meaning it has no life to it. And so we make idols. We look to all kinds of things to find comfort in our life. So after I said that, I... The guy Sparrow stood up and yelled even more at us. He was even more mad. So when we finished, I ran over to his, to his little tarot card booth. And when I walked up, there was somebody sitting in the chair in front of him, and there was a whole line of people waiting to sit down and have their palm read. He did it all, palms, tarot cards, all of it. And so as soon as the person got up from a seat, I scooted in the line and sat right down in the chair in front of him sat right down in front of the psychic. And I looked at him and I said, hey, bro, I just want to tell you I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. You know, we're just trying to bring life to people's life. He goes, I know, man, but I didn't like what you're doing and how you're doing things. And I felt like you were being offensive towards me. I said, listen, I wasn't trying to be offensive towards you. I want you to know that God really loves you and the power that is here with us right now is way more powerful than what's happening here at your booth. He goes, I don't think so. I said, I know so. 
And I said to him, I said, you have a very real gift from God, but when you were a child, your gift was suppressed by the church and you were, you were kicked out from the church and you were told that you were crazy. And I want you to know that the gift from God that you have is very powerful, but he wants to shift you and show you the real power more than what you're doing right now. And he looks at me and he goes, how did you know that? Let me tell you, when you get somebody to say, how did you know that? You have really, really gotten into their heart. And so what God was doing is he'd give me a word of knowledge. And when I said, when he said, how'd you know? I said, God told me that. I said, what's your name? He told me his name was Sparrow. And I said, what happened to you? He goes, when I was a child, I went to a mainline denominational church and I was having all these visions and my parents committed me to a psych ward and they thought that I was crazy and the things that I was seeing was not of the Lord. And the church ostracized me. And then I had this supernatural encounter with a Norwegian God by the name of Thor. Now, I know it's a movie and a superhero, but there really is a Norwegian God called Thor. And he said what happened to him was that he had gotten, basically a spirit came into him. He told me the whole story. It knocked him back, knocked him to the ground. He shook for hours and he was empowered by this spirit guide by the name of Thor. And as he's telling me that, there's a little candle right there blowing or a little candle lighting. And I looked at him and I said, but I'm telling you, the power of God is more powerful than the God of Thor. And my hair stood up on end. And suddenly a little gust of wind came and blew the candle out. And while I'm looking at him eye to eye as a power encounter, he goes and looks down at the candle that just blew out because his candle never blows out, right? And so while I'm looking at him, he reaches over grabs his lighter and lights the candle. And then I pray in my, in my spirit, God, blow the candle out again. And God did. And I had his full attention. I have all kinds of encounters like that. I was on a plane once sitting next to a master universalist woman pastor. She was like high up in the universalist church. I start telling her about Jesus. She's got crystals on her neck. I start telling her about the Lord. She looks at me and she says, you are crazy. She says, you're in a trance right now. I said, I'm in a trance? All right. Yeah. Because you know, for those of you that don't know, trances are in the Bible. Peter was praying on top of the house in Acts before he went to Cornelius' house, and he had a trance at midday while he was praying. Paul, after he came back to the Lord, or right before he came back to the Lord, was praying and went into a trance. The principle of mindset is that God has fully caught you up in the spirit. That's biblical. And I said, I'm in a trance. I said, that's awesome. She goes, yeah, your eyes are dilated and you have a really bad energy with, about you right now. I said, well, we're going to have a showdown then. <laughs> I knew we'd have a showdown. I love showdowns like this, okay? And so what happens is, I'll tell you, I know I started this story. You got to know what's happened with that story. She says, you got bad energy. She goes, here, let me show you. She pulls off her her necklace with a crystal on it. And she says, watch, when this crystal moves clockwise in front of you, it's gonna show you that you have a bad energy about you. She holds up the crystal and the crystal goes clockwise. I said, hand me the necklace. She goes, what? I said, yeah, let me see the necklace. She hands me the necklace, I hold it up and the necklace goes counterclockwise. She goes, give me that necklace. <laughs> Now I'll segue that to tell you that God is a supernatural God. For every millennial and every teenager and every young adult here and everybody here that's been burned and hurt by dysfunctional charismatic or charismaniac churches, let me tell you something. Where there's abuse and misuse, there's disuse. Stop disusing, let's get to normal and healthy. The second thing that I wanna tell you is you gotta have a lightning strike power encounter from the Lord. Intellectual, logical teaching is not what you need. If you came to church this morning to get a nice Easter ser sermon, obviously you're not getting it. I'm telling you sto a story. I'm telling you a story because it catches your attention and it helps you understand that God's power and love and kindness are real. And God has that for you every day if you will embrace it and step into it for yourself. God wants you to live kingdom normal. If you call yourself a Christian, shouldn't you be doing what Jesus did? And what did Jesus do? Mark 16, verses 15 through 20, says that Jesus that we would cast out demons, lay hands on the sick, that we would see supernatural 
experiences of the blind getting their eyesight back, the deaf ears getting open, the lame walking. God's called us to walk in supernatural power. And so these showdowns that I have with these types of people are designed to show them God's acts, which would ultimately hopefully lead them to his ways, okay? So if God touches you or heals you, it's because he wants you to know him. So I'm gonna just talk briefly with a couple scriptures and then we're gonna pray for you this morning. You guys all right? I don't want you living world normal anymore. When you walk out of here, it's no more world normal for you. It's not church as usual. We are in a dividing line time right now. This is a time more than ever to be fired up. This is a time more than ever to live upright and to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you, to break the religious dysfunction and to become everything that God has called you to become. So let me tell you a couple things. Number one, you need to understand when you believe that God talks to you and that Jesus rose from the dead, people are gonna think you're totally deceived. Just go ahead and prepare for that now. Let me just forewarn you now. If you're gonna be kingdom normal and not world normal, and you believe that you hear voice, a voice from God, and you believe that somebody rose from the dead and he lives now and I can walk and talk with them, people are gonna think you're crazy. And that's what happened after, when, when Jesus was buried, the, the chief priest said, go make sure that, that the, the deceivers, the disciples who were called deceivers and the great deceiver that they were calling as Jesus, which isn't, doesn't get stolen away in the night, okay? And that the deception would be even worse than the first deception. That's what they said. So prepare yourself for the fact that people are gonna think that you're deceived. You know what it means to be deceived? The definition of deceived is simply to believe that, that something that is true isn't. It's so simple. Self-deception is to tell yourself something that is true isn't true. God doesn't want you to be deceived. The resurrection dealt with that because when Jesus rose from the dead, he sealed the deal. Let's look at this scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 says, that if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You know what the word futile means? It means pointless, useless, ineffective, and a waste of your time. That's what that means. So if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're wasting our time. And this, even what I'm talking about, even what I'm telling you is all a lie, but it's not. Verse 18 says, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those, they're gonna perish. They're, we're never gonna see those family members again. I'm not gonna see our daughter Eden Grace or my mom. You're not gonna see your loved ones ever again because there's no hope if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And then verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. What that means is that if all you have is a hope so, that's pitiable. You can't just have a hope so. You gotta have an I know so. And when you get born again and you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And Romans 8 says that the spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Now I don't have a hope so, I have an and I know so because of the life, the love, and the power that I live in every day and you are called to live in the same thing. This is not going through the motions of religious dysfunction. This is a reality. Jesus is a reality and he forever lives to make intercession because he rose from the dead. Yeah. Woo. We want to break world normal. World normal suppressing the truth and living a lie and living like the old Jew. That's not how you're called to live. The resurrection dealt with that. The world is in crisis. The Greek word for crisis is the word condemnation. Crisis means that you're in an extremely difficult situation that's hard and terrifying, or it means you have a very difficult decision to make, or it means both. You're going through a difficult time and you've got an important decision to make. John 3, 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not in crisis or not condemned. 
But he who does not, just put the word crisis in. But he who does not believe is in crisis already. They're already in crisis. So why would he come to throw somebody into more crisis? It's not what he wants to do. The Bible says a, a, a burning, a smoldering wick he won't snuff out and a bruised reed he won't break. Some of you are smoldering, smoldering and bruised, but Jesus came to heal you and bring life to you. And he goes on to say, again, in verse 18, they're already condemned because they don't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the crisis. Remember, think decision-making. This is the crisis, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Here's crisis. Mindful of myself, what I want, my carnal nature, living for me, or embracing the new life that God has, getting born again, and fully living for Jesus and being spiritual all the days of my life. That's the crisis, is that the world loves to live for themselves and self-pleasures and self-desires and something that is so much easier, it seems like, because I can taste it every day versus having to walk by faith and trust the Lord. People choose to go their own way, and that is a crisis. And if you're in crisis today, the resurrection dealt with that. The resurrection dealt with that. God wants you to be spiritually minded. I teach this a lot, that he doesn't want you to be good. He wants you to be spiritual. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to do good, but doing good is a result of being spiritual. Only God can make you to be good. Remember what I said earlier. People are not born innately good. Now, they'll have good tendencies about them. They can be raised in good families, But the only thing that makes you good is the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ dwelling in your life. And then he transforms you. And now suddenly the fruit of your life becomes patient, kind, long-suffering, and merciful, full of joy, full of love. You get transformed because the life of God inside of you. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Colossians 3, 1. If then you were raised with Christ, if you've given your life to the Lord, the Bible says that we are now raised up with Christ in the power of his resurrection, and we're seated with him. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life was hidden in Christ in God. Let's go back to verse two for a minute. This is being spiritual. And I'm not talking about so heavenly good, you're no earthly good. God wants to bring heaven here so you can be heavenly and earthly good so that you can relate and love really, really well and reflect God's love and kindness. But until you set your mind there, you're never gonna be able to bring the life that God has for you here. He says that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Remember, You'll never have a personal resurrection and become who God's called you to become until you lay your life down. I know it's tough. I ran into one of our ushers that came here with heavy addiction and isolated and alone not that long ago. Ran into him in the aisle this morning. I said, how you doing? He goes, I'm doing good. And I could see a transformation in him. He says, but it's been painful. I said, I know it has. Because God's process of pruning your life and cutting things out of your life and breaking that old psyche life takes time. Ever met an angry Christian? (laughs) Ever met a a Christian who gave their life to Jesus but still struggling with drug addiction? False thinking, lies, deception, but yet they're born again? Why is that? Because when you're born again, you're born again in your spirit, spirit to spirit. But it's your soul realm that the Holy Spirit now comes to work and bring regeneration into your life. You need the Holy Spirit, everybody. Come on, you need the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. And I'm not talking about some weird religious thing. I'm talking about the presence of the living God dwelling in you to equip you and empower you to become everything God wants you to become. Isn't that powerful? So I'm going to leave you with just a couple more scriptures, and then we're going to pray for you. Sin has a really bad definition in the world's eyes. In fact, the world makes fun of sin. They're haphazard about it. We name cities after sin. Sin, city. 
And yeah, there's a lot of sin in Sin City, but there's a lot of Christians that are on fire living in Las Vegas. I'm going to tell you that there are remnants all over the world, even the most darkest of dark places. But people really don't understand what sin is. Let me give you a good definition of sin. The best definition and most simple definition is missing the mark, okay? So think of an archer or a bow hunter that is hunting, and they hit the bullseye every time, okay? But if you're outside of that bullseye, you've missed the mark. God wants you to hit that bullseye every single time. He's called you to be a perfect archer in his hand so that, no, I'm not continuing to do the things that I once did. That man's dead. Now, it takes time to learn how to be perfect in your shot every single time. That's the process. That's why you should be in a church that's full of love, full of grace, full of empowerment, that will always love you every time you walk in these doors, and you're not going to get hit over the head with more condemnation. Religion brings additional condemnation and crisis to your life, but not Jesus, okay? So here's another great definition of sin, doing, doing anything opposite of what God wants you to do. Or let me say it this way, not doing what God wants you to do. So when you're not being spirit-led and you're making choices that are contrary, contrary to his word, his life, according to what you want, that's sin. If I'm driving down the road and God tells me exit off SPID, I want you to make a right here, I'm leading you somewhere and I don't do it and I, my heart starts pounding, I get convicted. If I drive past a hitchhiker or somebody broke down on the side of the road and God says, stop, turn around and go help that person. And I'm like, God, I don't have time for that and I keep going. The Bible says sin is he who knows to do right, but doesn't do it. Come on, guys. The Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And anybody that's not born again, they only see sin and the, through the eyes of the law instead of grace and truth and love and mercy. Now, many times I didn't stop and turn around. And I was convicted and I repented. And you know what the Lord said? I'll give you another chance. Okay. He's the God of a million chances. So that's the easiest definition of sin for you. Does that make sense? Can y'all understand being spirit-led? Break out of religious mindsets. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says that, that Paul says, I received what I delivered, that Jesus died for your sins. All right? Remember that. The resurrection dealt with that. Now, I'm not going to read through any more of my notes except for one more scripture, but I'm going to summarize. Jesus defeated the devil by resurrecting, not just because he died on a cross, but because he resurrected. The resurrection was the, fi the finality of bringing ultimate defeat to the enemy. And there are many scriptures in Ephesians 1. I would encourage you to take these home, write them down. I don't have time to read them to you this morning. Ephesians 1, 19 through 22 talks about how Jesus is seated far above every principality, power, might, and dominion that is named, not only, not only in this world, but in the age to come, because he resurrected. Colossians 2, 12 through 15 says that he wiped out the handwriting and requirements of the law that was against us, and he disarmed every principality. Everybody say disarmed. disarmed. Here's the thing. Please hear me closely. You've got to stop fighting for victory and start fighting from a place of victory, Amen. okay? You will only fight from a place of victory until you fully surrender your life to Jesus and get born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and understand who you are. Yes. Come on, churches aren't teaching people this stuff today. You're not being empowered to get out there, start prophesying, laying hands on the sick, get transformed, and understand the devil's been defeated. Yeah. yeah! Woo! Two more things. Can you give me one more minute? I'm going to end on time today, and we're going to pray for you. Okay? Two more things. You need to understand that the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, would not be available to you had Jesus not ascended to heaven. Jesus said, it's expedient for him that I leave. He's telling the disciples, I'm checking out. It's checkout time for me, and the disciples were in depression. And he made this statement. He said, it's expedient that I go. Because if I don't go, you won't get the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. He's your helper. 
He's the one that comes alongside of you and comforts you, strengthens you, and gives you dynamite power to heal the sick and demonstrate that God is real to everyone around you. You've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. And you would not have a Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection. You would not have a Pentecost if you did not have an ascension and a resurrection. There'd be no Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. Gosh, there's so many I can't even tell you. But I want to leave you with one phenomenal scripture this morning. Maybe two. <laughs> Let's look at this one, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. You know, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I have a lot of favorites. But please take a minute to look at this scripture on the screen. My wife sent me the most amazing video this morning of my daughter. Little did she know what I taught at Cinnamon Shore this morning on the beach at Sunrise Service in Port Aransas. What I taught people was that because Jesus resurrected, we can now talk to him and hear his voice. I teach our children what it means to commune with the Lord, and I show them how to do it in a normal, supernatural, powerful way, not some weird way. I don't make them pray. I just demonstrate a life of prayer and teach them the understanding of this scripture. Seeing then that you have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So you need to understand Jesus is sympathetic for you. So many of you've got this warped belief system that you made your bed, now you got to lie in it. All the bridges you burned, all the people you hurt, all the drugs you did, all the past, all the dysfunction, you made this bed, now lie in it. That's not in the Bible. God came to break you out of that prison cell. He came to break you out of that bed. He did what you couldn't do. And he's caring and he's sympathetic because he loves you. Verse 16, please take a moment to meditate on this scripture. You now, when you give your life to Jesus, it says that you have access. Everybody say, I have access. And how do you have access? Like scared, overly reverent and sheepish? And I'm not saying don't be reverent. How does God want you to come? He wants you to come boldly. For what? To the throne of grace that you might obtain three things, mercy, grace, and help. When? And when is the time of need? Is it just Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Friday night, two o'clock in the morning, the bar closed, I'm too drunk, the world's spinning, God, please help me? Yes, those are all times, by the way, because I've been there. Let's just make it clear. How often do you have need? So God wants you to have the freedom and ability to be a throne room traveler and have access. When, the, when Jesus was crucified, there was an earthquake. The rock split and the temple curtain was rent from top to bottom. You know what that means? That God ripped it from the top to the bottom. And it means that he now, when the high priest could only go once a year, you can go whenever you need to, to get grace and help and mercy in the time of need. But here's the crisis. Here's the crisis. I'd like the worship team to come up. I'm going to tell you what the crisis is. Remember crisis. I don't know what to do. It's such a difficult situation, and I've got to make a decision. Crisis. Some of you are in that spot right now, okay? Jesus, the fourth time that he resurrected, or after he resurrected, he would say for the fourth time, he said three times before he was crucified that he'd be crucified. Read Luke chapter 24. The fourth time, he says it again, the fourth time, and he says this. After he resurrects, he appears to the disciples, and he says this. Did I not tell you? He reminds, did I not tell you that I'd be mocked, scourged, and crucified? But then he says one incredible, powerful thing that deals with crisis. He says this so that repentance would be preached to all the nations. You know what repentance is? Repentance has such a bad name. It has a bad rap. 
especially if you came from old school Pentecostal church. You better repent. You better repent. Some of you have heard that in a bad way. Let me tell you what repentance is. And, it's, and one definition is, of course, I'm going this way, and I turned, and I went the other way. I did 180, stopped sinning. But you can't stop sinning until you get faith and Jesus in your life. You'll, st you'll still stay world normal. And even after you give your life to the Lord, you still, even though Jesus sees you as perfect, you have this process of God working on your soul realm and breaking out world normal. Angry Christian, that's still old world normal stuff. If you want to know, God, why am I still struggling with this sin? Why am I still like I used to be? I came to you, I gave my life to you, but I'm still wrestling with, with doubts and disbelief and believing the preacher and long services and all these other things that you struggle with. What I'm telling you is that God comes to work by the Holy Spirit in that area, okay? And so repentance means to change the way you think. That's the first definition of repentance. Because how will I ever turn around and go the other way if I don't think differently? You know, the greatest battle in this church is for your mind. I watch it on so many of your faces. I know how hard it is to, there is a spiritual warfare that goes on at Rock City. The devil works on overtime to keep you back from Rock City. They'll call me a cult leader because I believe in tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're too wild, we're too long, we're too this. Listen, I want you to encounter the living God. Amen. And I preach these kind of messages because I want to penetrate your heart, right? Not just massage your brain. Okay, be easy with, with 20 minutes, four points, etc. But I want to empower you. And so repentance means I'm going to change the way that I think, which will break my split mind schizophrenic thinking, because schizophrenia means split mind. Okay? Think about this. Crisis is I don't know what to do, and what I'm facing is horrible. But if you will change the way that you think, allow the Holy Spirit to come into you, be born again, Give your life to Christ and then spend time with him every day, communing with him, learning about him, regardless of your financial situation, regardless of living on the streets, regardless if you've got everything going great or everything going terrible. God came for everyone. He loves all of you. And if you'll change the way that you think and turn and repent for the old Jew and say, God, I'm sorry, I know what I was doing was wrong. Mindful of man, I don't want to live the Sigmund Freud psyche life anymore. My sexually driven old person, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be fascinated by you. I'm going to turn and I'm going to look to you and I'm going to now allow you to fascinate me and I'm going to tell you the only thing that will change you is the wonder and fascination of the living God. Break out of this, I don't know what to do thing, right? We talk about that. I start tensing, okay, but how do I do it? There's no five steps. Go sit with Jesus, enjoy him, and let him empower, empower your life. Amen? Yeah, you guys fired up? All right. I'd like everybody to stand. I'd like my prayer partners to come up. Please, nobody leave. I'd like to ask all of you to not leave, please. I'd like my ministry team and my prayer partners to come up on each side. By the way, did you love the dancing and the painting this morning? Is this powerful? We're going to hang this up in our lobby. You know, this is Jesus declaring and standing over Corpus Christi, Texas. You know, God's got a great purpose for this city. And I love Corpus Christi. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. Except maybe Hawaii every now and then. But right now, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Okay? Now, I want everybody to look at, at the mamas and the papas and the sons and daughters that are coming up to pray this morning. We have all the nations, tribes, and tongues that are part of this church, all the generations that are here to stand with you, encourage you, strengthen you, and pray with you. I'm not gonna do an altar call where I ask everybody that doesn't know Jesus or has walked away, has backslidden. I'm not gonna do that. But you know what I know? There's people here that you don't know what I know. And you want to and you need to. You want to live a new kind of life. You're tired of living the old way. Some of you are here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I don't want to keep living the way that I lived before. Someone here has said, I'm tired of running. Someone here has said, man, there's got to be more to church. Someone has said, there's got to be real power. Someone has said, I'm tired of the lies that I was sold in my religious dysfunction as a child. Someone's sick. Someone's hurting here this morning.
Somebody's marriage is on the rocks here this morning. You've been fighting nonstop with your spouse and you're not happy and you've lost that loving feeling. And God says, I'm gonna put a new love in you to love the way that I intend you to love because you gotta get it for yourself. Some of you have been hurting and broken and battling addictions. This morning, we wanna stand with you and pray with you. And if you're gonna, if you wanna come home to the Lord or give your life to Jesus for the first time, I want you to tell one of these prayer partners. They'll tell me and we'll celebrate with you. But this isn't about how many people came up today and, oh gosh, 50 people got saved today. And I think that's awesome when that happens and we'll do that sometimes. But this morning, we're family. You're in a community. You're in a place where somebody can stand with you and pray with you. And if you're hurting and you wanna just cry up here at the stairs, come on. Kneel down around the front. This is an altar. This is a sanctuary and a place where you can be fully transformed. Amen. I love you all so much. And God loves you so much. And Jesus is real and his power is on the move and it's a day like no other and I'm so excited. So I'm gonna pray for you and dismiss you. You're welcome to come up and let somebody pray for you or come kneel at the front. I pray that you have an amazing, amazing day with your family. Stay super fired up. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that there's a garden here. of fruitful trees, of sons and daughters and people that are desperate and hungry to know you. My prayer, Lord, is that everyone here would be mindful of the things of God and not the things of man. I break the self-preservation thing. I break the spirit of this age off of you. And my prayer is that you'd become spiritually minded. My prayer is that you wouldn't be so worried and concerned about tomorrow and your clothes and your food and your job and your money that you'd have faith and trust in God like never before. I pray that the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow into you now and when you leave here today. Dreams, visions, signs and wonders, time clocks and numbers and God's creation to awaken and fascinate you. May you be spoken to in the shower, driving your car. And my prayer is that all of you would get so lit up by the glorious light of God's presence and power that you'd be so hungry to read the Bible and just go sit with the Lord by the water or in your closet that you'd stop running and turn to the living God, that you'd repent, change your ways, change the way that you think and get fired up. Pray that all of you live a resurrected life and that this morning as you come up for prayer, that this prayer time and ministry time would be powerful and life-changing for you. Just as it was for me 17 years ago when I got baptized on this day, may you, for never, be the, may you never be the same. I love you and I bless you and your family. I pray that the Lord's face would shine upon you and he'd keep you and hedge you in in every area of your life. Have an awesome, awesome day. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.